Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. All right, welcome to Faith Assembly of God. So good to have you guys here today. You look great this morning, and I hope you're growing together. We've been in this series, The Son of God, and learning together about who He is and some of His great miracles. We're coming next Sunday morning. Don't miss it. It's His triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday, great celebration day at the church, and so I want you to be here, invite a friend to be with you, and then begin now inviting your friends to come on Easter Sunday morning, two weeks away, we will have a great time. Wonderful spirit this morning of praise and worship, and what a joy to come together with the family of God and come to the house of the Lord today. Uh, take your Bibles out and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We've looked at a lot of different titles of Jesus Christ and who he is, and, and today we're going to really look at the title this series is named after the Son of God. He calls himself the Son of God. We sang about the Son of God. You heard Craig share this 40 times in the New Testament. And so, who is this Son of God? Now, the first week, we looked at his messianic title, the Son of Man. And Jesus Christ, he, he does this incredible miracle. They drop a guy down in the middle of the room. He's lame. And, and he says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they're all looking around the room. And he says, who has this kind of authority to forgive sins? And he says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin, I say to you, rise up and walk. And the guy got up and walked and began to carry his mat out of that room. And the whole place is just awestruck by the awesomeness of this person. And there he uses the title, the Son of Man. It is a messianic title. It refers to the one that Daniel said would come. He would be the Son of Man. It also talks about his humanity. Jesus Christ was fully human. Born of Mary, a man that lived on the earth and dwelt among us, and so son of man. And then we, we looked at Jesus Christ, the sinner's friend. And you saw his calling of Zacchaeus and how that uh, he calls him a tax collector, someone no one else loved, no one else cared about. He calls out to him. He's always reaching out to the outcast, the lowest of society, the tax collectors, the harlots, all those that no one else would accept. So we saw the title, A Sinner's Friend. And then last week, we looked at the anointed one. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. In fact, the word Christ, we say Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. His last name wasn't Christ. It just means Jesus, the anointed one. He was the anointed And what was he anointed to do? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee had come. And because Christ had come, uh, there was freedom any time, any place. You didn't have to wait 50 years before the year of Jubilee. Now Jubilee had come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. uh, And he came to set the captive free. uh, And he came to preach the good news to the poor. And he came to bring sight to the blind eyes and make the lame walk again. And all that stuff points to the fact that he is the anointed one of God. What a great, and we had an awesome, awesome time last Sunday morning around these altars. This morning we're going to look at, at, at a declaration that one of his disciples make. And when Peter makes this declaration, he is declaring, we are all in. And I want to ask you this morning, are you all in or not? Because if he is, 
who we declare him to be, then we've got to be all in. Take a look at the story. The people today, they called you king. They think you were a messiah. But you seem to ignore them. Aren't you going to be our king? Who do you think I am? the son of God. You can't have known this by what you know of me, Peter. It has been revealed to you by God. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Tomorrow, I will meet you on the other shore. Peter makes this radical statement. You are the Son of God. And Jesus acknowledges that this is a revelation from God himself. This is something he couldn't come up with his own. This is a divine revelation. You are the Son of God. Now, now he starts out by asking the question, whom do Men say the Son of Man is. And so it, it kicks off a debate. And the first thing I want you to look at and notice with me this morning is this debate that is going on. It is a debate that is still going on today. And let's look at it from the text in Matthew 16 and verse 13. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, now Jesus has just taken his, his disciples on a 16-mile trip, kind of out of the way, and, and we'll talk about the location and where they went a little bit later to Caesarea Philippi. And, and he stopped and he used this occasion to teach his disciples. And so they're gathered around him, and, and he asked him, Whom do men say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the, the Son of Man is? And, and, and the people had seen the signs and wonders, they had seen the miracles, they heard his revolutionary teachings, there was something that they had never heard before coming out of the lips of Jesus Christ. They saw his compassion for the broken and for the hurting, and so he says, what are you guys hearing about me? What's the word on the street? What are, what are people saying today? What are the public opinion polls out there saying? It's the same thing that we face today. At work, they're talking about who the Son of God is, who Jesus Christ is. Is he really the Son of God? Is he the one, are we just wasting our time every Sunday morning? Are we really worshiping the Son of God? The media talks about it, and there was a movie by the same title that just came out recently. So there's a lot of discussion about who he is. All other religions have a viewpoint about who Jesus was. Some would say he was a great prophet. Uh, if you're a uh, uh, Islamic person, uh, you would say, or a Muslim man, you would say he was a great prophet. You would not declare he was the son of God. And so religions talk about who this person was. Who is Jesus Christ? The person of Jesus has always been the center of debate. 
He is a hot button issue. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is this man? Now, the popular opinion of that day, he said, some say John the Baptist. Not a bad answer. In fact, Herod reported this a little bit when he he had already killed john the baptist and when they began to tell him about jesus christ he said oh no john the baptist has risen from the dead he's come back to haunt me you take somebody's head off and kill them and then someone comes along doing those same signs and wonders then then you might think it was john the baptist some said it was elijah Now, now why do you think they came up with elijah Well, Malachi prophesies that Elijah is going to come and he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so maybe this is the forerunner. Maybe this is the Elijah we're supposed to look for. And so they said, some say you are Elijah. And what an incredible incredible prophet that was. Some said you're like Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Excuse me. So it could have been Jeremiah, could have been Isaiah, could have been Hosea, could have been one, any one of the prophets. Now I want to tell you, it's an honor just to be named with these incredible historical figures. And yet they were wrong. You come up with any of those answers, you're short. You're wrong. He is much more than that. And so the debate rages, could Jesus Christ really be the Messiah? Could he be the one all the prophets they'd waited for all their lives, uh, the one they had been looking for, could he really be the one? And all their public opinions fell short. And they certainly didn't recognize him, at least public opinion didn't, as the Son of God. Even though he does incredible miracles, even though he has wonderful teachings, they, they missed it. They didn't recognize really who he was. Why do you think the Jews missed it? Well, maybe it's because he came from such poor, humble beginnings. He wasn't what they pictured their new king would be like, where he would come from. He would be regal and royal, and, and Jesus certainly didn't fit that description. He came from very humble beginnings he loved the poor he loved the outcast Uh, he wasn't smoozing with all the top dogs in jerusalem Uh, he's going after the poor people that's not the way kings act kings hang around the royalty and and, and, and the great people and they hobnob with all the elite in the jewish mind there was nothing promising about jesus christ how could someone who hangs around the outcast and the poor and sinners how could somebody like that deliver them from roman bondage from roman oppression how could there be an overthrow of governments how could he set up his kingdom on the earth uh, that the prophets talked about uh, that would flourish and be prosperous and and so there was this debate going on who do you say jesus christ is now i want to tell you we are facing a similar debate today and you better have your answer down for us it's a matter of life and death whom do you say the son of man is there's a lot of popular opinions out there they are all around you today Whom do you say Jesus Christ is? Take a look at this clip. Here's one man's opinion. You may recognize him. I look to the scriptures for poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm I'm, I'm interested in. And, of course, there was a historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And and do I see the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. 
To whom or what do you pray to and in Christ. what way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming true. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just we, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. For peace and quiet. And we'll pray, usually about people that we know who are struggling with something, um, illness so, or so, so whatever. So then, what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think, therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I have no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. You, uh, you may recognize Bono from the Irish rock band, U2. It's a debate that everybody got to have. It's a debate that's going on today. It's a debate in pop culture. It's a debate on the media. It's a debate everywhere we look. And so now, Jesus Christ changes his approach, and he says, who do you say I am? And so there's the dilemma. And it's the dilemma we face today. What am I going to do with Jesus Christ? It's more than just an intellectual debate out there somewhere where we can speculate and, and pontificate and talk about who we think he might be. It's a lot more than that. It now comes down to my dilemma. What am I going to do with Jesus Christ? You can't base your opinion on popular culture or what anybody else is saying out there. You must come to grips with who Jesus Christ is yourself. And so this is the dilemma. And so he asked the question, who do you say I am? Now, notice the second time he asked the question, he changes it up from verse 13 to 15. Look at verse 15 if you would. But Jesus, but what about you? Who do you say I am? In verse 13 he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? He leaves that phrase out when he addresses the disciples. Why doesn't he repeat the phrase Son of Man again when he repeats the question the reason he does is because the disciples knew that he was more than a man. They'd already put that together. 
They already had left everything to follow Jesus Christ. They already had become one of his disciples. They, they already believed on him. The, the disciples believed on him. They had been with him for about three years now. They already believed on him. But for Jesus Christ, it's not just enough for us to believe intellectually on him. Uh, we must also confess him. And he was looking for that confession. That confession that only God himself can reveal. That, that, that confession that draws us to God. That confession that makes us one with God. They had, they had heard his teachings. Uh, they saw his miracles. Uh, they already believed. Uh, but they would need to teach others who he was. And they had to be rock solid in their confession that he was the Son of God. They would preach the gospel. They would start churches. They would travel all around the Roman Empire. Listen, we, we get to come to church every week and we hear about Jesus Christ and we've been talking about who he is and, 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 and just about most of my messages somehow always come back to Jesus Christ. He is the central figure in the gospel. You have more knowledge of Christ than most others around you just by having been around here and being around your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But should the dilemma arise about the character of who Christ is, are you ready to publicly make your confession of faith? Are you ready to tell others Jesus Christ emphatically is the Son of God? Jesus Christ is the only way you can be saved. There is no other name under heaven. Are you ready to declare that when you go out in the marketplace? See, it's one thing to come and believe. And we got believers all around. Most people, a lot of people... Uh, Easter's coming up, they'll be in church, they do believe in Jesus Christ, they do believe in his death, and they do believe in his resurrection, but are you ready to confess it to others? Are you ready to use by God to, to build up the kingdom of God? Are you, ready to give, are you ready to give a reason for the hope, the Bible says, that lies inside of you? You should be ready to declare not only what you know, but also what you believe and what you confess. And so that leads to the next point. There must be a declaration. The declaration. Look at verse number 16. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, now Peter just gives a few short words there. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it is a very full confession of faith. In that one phrase, Peter sums it all up. He puts it in capsule form. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the one we've been looking for. And then he even goes a little bit further and he says, and you are the son of the living God. He is declaring that, that Jesus Christ is the one that God had promised would come. And he's anointed not by man, but he's anointed by God himself. You see, they had anointed a lot of people in the Old Testament. They had anointed a lot of kings and prophets and priests, and they anointed a lot of different people, but, but Jesus' anointing would come from God himself. And, and this Messiah is not just a man, although he is a man, but not only a man, he is a divine person. He is the son of the living God. He has the same nature with God. He is one with him. He is equal to God in every sense of the word. He is fully God. All in that one little statement. Now, when Peter makes this declaration, when we make this similar declaration, we are saying, Jesus, I'm all in. 
I'm all in 100%. I'm putting everything on the line. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. It puts you in a place of trust and vulnerability that you put all your faith in God, in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 puts it this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is divine, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, you come to this point of taking all the debate out, all of your past conceptions, all of the mistakes you may have made, all your preconceived notions, all your doubts, and you're saying to God, when you make this declaration, when you make this confession of faith, you are saying, God, I am all in. I'm all in. Now, here's the incredible thing. When you make that declaration, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, it will lead to some incredible things that will begin to happen in your life. And you see it, first of all, in verse number 17. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but but by my Father in heaven. Number one, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. His declaration of faith had been revealed by the Heavenly Father. And that declaration is simply this. It is the good news uh, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he is also our Savior. You believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And it consists of a revelation that only God can give. It's the revealed truth about his character, about his mission, about his love, about his heart. Uh, Who is this Jesus Christ? Now, when that's revealed to you, By his Father in heaven, because the Bible says no man comes to the Son but through the Father. When this revelation comes into your heart by the Father, and you respond to that revelation, you can only respond in one way, and that's by full worship and full love. When you come to the point when you can declare, Jesus, you are the Son of God, it requires my worship and my love. Because God revealed himself to me, I worship the one who is the revealer of truth. And I give my heart to him and my life to him. And out of that comes blessings. And what are the blessings? I am blessed with relationship. Now I am a child of God. Now I'm in the family of God. Now I'm saved by his grace. Now I'm on my way to heaven. Now I've been adopted into his family. Now I'm blessed with finding my purpose and reason for being. It all comes out of that declaration of faith. You are the Son of God, faith that only God can give. And your life is completely changed because you come into relationship with him. I am blessed through relationship. Divine revelation leads to relationship. And I declare, Jesus, you are. You are the Son of God. And I know him, and he knows me. He gives me salvation. He gives me life. Now, once you have that relationship, he moves you into your mission. 
So not only do I have a relationship that I'm made a part of the family of God, God gives me my mission and my reason and my purpose. And so he does that in verse number 18. He says there, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I I want to pause here and I want to go back to where they're at. They are in the region of Caesarea Philippi. There's a reason he takes them 16 miles out of the way to go to Caesarea Philippi. Because there there, there are these huge rock cliffs that are right there. This is the only recorded time that Jesus Christ ever made it into this region whatsoever. It was established by the Greeks. And it was the center of Greek-Roman worship. And they had all these gods inside the hills, located on the hills. Uh, and Pan was the main god they worshipped right there. And there was altars to Pan God. It was named in AD 2 by Herod Philip in honor of Caesar Augustus. And so it's named Caesarea in honor of Caesar and himself. I'll throw your own name in there. Philippi. Okay? It was a region that was detested by Orthodox rabbis. In fact, they taught no good Jew would ever go into that area. It was like Sin City. It was like Las Vegas or Bourbon Street, New Orleans, or or Amsterdam, the red light district. It it was like all those things on steroids. It was much, much worse than any of those kinds of cities we could ever imagine. Now, I want to show you a few pictures because I had the privilege of going there on my last trip to the Holy Land, 2009. So if you could put one of those shots up, maybe I can show that region to you. There you are. You're you're a long way off. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was at the base of Mount Hermon. And there was this rock wall, this rock cliff, uh, where where they came and and met and they worshipped all their gods. And so go ahead and show me the next picture. This was actually called the Rock of the Gods. And you can see on the right over there where those two guys are talking. Up top, you see these inlays. I'll show you another picture in a minute that makes it, even shows it better. But they would put statues and idols up there. Sometimes, sometimes phallic symbols because they, they worship their God through fertility rites. And so they had all kinds of just sexual orgies in front of this area. And it was a very, very pagan, idol-worshiping, demonic. Worship of demons. On the left you'll see a cave, and out of that cave came a river. And it was there, they believed, that they called that the Gates of Hades. The Gates of Hades. And it's where they believed the pan god would go down into the, into, the, into the bottom of the earth and would come back out and would come and go. And so that was the gate where the, where the demonic forces would come in and out. They didn't recognize them as demons. They were their gods, their, their pan gods. Uh, show me the next picture. Uh, there you see, uh, you see several of those. You see one over top of the man standing there, one to the right, and uh, there's, there are all, there's another one right there straight to the right. You can see part of it's off the screen. But, but in each one of these things, they had a different Greek god or a different Roman god. And so Jesus has now strategically taken his disciples to this area, to this region. Okay, show me the next picture. And there you see, you see more of the shrines and more of the people standing around. And there you see uh, a part of that cave opening right there. And then show me one more picture. There, there, there's yours truly with his knee brace on. And, and there you have that, that, the, what, is called, what they call the gates of Hades. A river at one time f- uh, flowed out of there. And so, and that, that's where they believe that was the gates of Hades. Now, Jesus Christ makes this revolutionary statement. He says, it's right here, right in front of the gates of Hades. This is where I'm going to build my church. 
And these gates and these demonic forces and these gods that the Romans and the Greeks worship, they will not prevail against the Son of God. Notice the language he uses, upon this rock. You think this rock is something? You think this wall is something? Upon the rock, I'm going to build my church. Nothing will ever prevail against it. Pan was, it was an, the idol, main idol they worshipped in this region. He was half goat and half human. That's pretty, pretty frightening. And it was a fertility god. And they performed all kinds of lewd sexual acts in front of their statues, in front of their fertility gods. And Jesus makes this declaration, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hate should not prevail against it. They were probably right there at the site facing the rock as you look at the language from Matthew. He already says that in the region of this area, Caesarea Philippi. And upon the confession of recognizing Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, upon that statement, God would go out and he would begin to build his church. The whole foundation, the whole basis of the church is based on that foundation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And upon that confession of faith, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. And it literally means the called out ones or the community of the redeemed. I have called you out of this pagan lifestyle. And I will build my church. He purposely chooses this place. This is the darkest, most immoral place within walking distance of Jesus' ministry. And he takes his disciples there. He goes to a place where no good Jew would ever go or pass through. And he said, this is where I want to build my church, right at the very gates of hell. I have a mission for you, a message of love that will penetrate even the very darkest places, a a message that no force in hell can stop. And his disciples would go to all the dark places of Asia Minor. And they would travel eventually throughout the Roman Empire where gods were worshipped with unspeakably awful manners uh, and where Christians would be persecuted in horrific ways. And they would travel to the darkest places. You see, once you make this declaration and then are blessed with a relationship with the Father you start to begin to understand his love for people. And you begin to see out of this relationship how much God loves people. And he loves the lost of the lost. He loves them where no matter what they've been through, uh, no matter what they've done, uh, his mission has always been to seek and save those who are lost. Uh, And Jesus will go anywhere, any place to reach someone. And he'll use you to do it. The darkest places. And so what he's telling his disciples is, you get to be a part of building my church. I'm going to use you to do it. And it's not going to be in the soft, cushy areas. It's going to be in places just like Caesarea Philippi. And he says, the good news is nothing can stop it. And then he says, not only will you build, but you will bind. Look at verse number 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, how many know that whoever holds the keys has the power? Right? You have the authority. You give the keys of your house to somebody else to get in, they have the authority to go into your house. They have, they have the power. They have the keys. We have got so many keys around these buildings. I think the power and authority of these churches has been, the, 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 these buildings have been diluted because everybody and their mother has a key and anybody can get in any time, morning, noon, or night. We're not most secure facilities. We're not exactly the Pentagon right here. And, and so whoever holds the keys or the code has the power, has control, has the authority. Jesus is giving Peter and the disciples the keys and the power and the authority to the kingdom of heaven. And Peter is going to begin to take and use those keys and unlock the doors uh, that have kept people in bondage. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Christ has been crucified and, and then he rose again 40 days later and then 10 days later you have the day of Pentecost and God pours out the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't stop there. Peter stands up and he preaches and he says, this same Jesus whom you crucified is the Lord of glory. Uh, you'd think they get mad at him. Some may have, but I want to tell you, on that day, 3,000 people gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he had the key to the kingdom of God. Uh, and it was the gospel message uh, that Jesus Christ came, uh, and he died, uh, and he rose again. Uh, and that's our key today. Uh, that's, what, that's what unlocks the door of people's hearts and lives and sets them free. And then he would, in, in Acts chapter 9, he would go to a Roman centurion's house. They're oppressors, uh, they're all enemies, but, but what is he doing? He's taking the key and he begins to unlock the door of faith to Gentiles. The keys weren't just meant for the Jews. They're to unlock the door of faith for Jew and Gentile alike. And this kingdom would be different than anything they'd ever seen before. It would be a kingdom based on grace and based on love. And God says, I give you the authority. I give you the keys to bind and to loose. Now what's it mean to loose? What, 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 where does this come from? If you remember last week, how many were here last week? Remember last week? Remember the year of Jubilee? What did Jesus Christ say he was anointed to do? Set the captives free. Set the captives free. And so this loosing is setting those who are in bondage to Satan, those who've been bound by the prince of darkness, uh, those whose life are headed to hell, they are literally loosed and set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the good news of the gospel. What does it mean to bind? To bind uh, is you literally bind the powers of darkness and the powers of Satan in a person's life uh, so that he no longer has control on them uh, because they have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're released. Satan is bound. The prisoner is set free. and becomes a part of God's family. He says, I'm giving you, my church, that authority. I'm giving you, my church, those keys. Now, go out and do it. Gates of hell. I, I showed you the picture and why it was so important that he used that phrase in this context. 
But gates came to mean a lot in, 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 the, in these Old, Old Testament and New Testament cities, especially, uh, especially as you go further back in the kingdom states, kingdom cities of the Old Testament. Gates were very significant. A, a gate was a place where, of a power and authority. It was like their city hall. So they handled all the business of the city inside the gates, inside these big arched gates where people would come and go. And so it's where the elders of the city would meet. They conducted business. You see this in the story of Ruth and Boaz when they were talking about who the kingsman redeemer would be. They met in the gates of the city. It was their city hall. It was the place of city power and authority. Okay, that's one use of the word gates. It's also where all the trials took place. Now listen to me. This is good. If someone went on trial, they would get their jury or their judge or whoever would render the decision, they would bring them to the gates. If they were found guilty, they would be hung. If they were found uh, innocent, they would be set free or released. All this activity took place in the gates of the city. How many know that Satan has already been judged? The moment Jesus Christ was crucified and he walked out of that tomb, uh, he said, it is finished. Wow. And then the third thing the gates did, and this is probably the most obvious, is they guarded the city. They guarded the city. But I want you to notice something. So, so gates symbolize the organized power of death and Satan. Now, gates are always defensive. No one here has ever been attacked by a gate. They don't walk. They don't move. They don't breathe. They are defensive. What does that tell me about the church? Christ's church should always be on the offensive. We are gate crashers. We're to come along to the very gates of hell itself, kick down the gates, announce what Jesus Christ has done, and take those who are captive behind the gates and lead them out to freedom in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the authority and power we have. He says, I'm giving you, my church, the keys. You can bind, you can loose, you can set the captive free, and you can bring them into my kingdom of mercy and my kingdom of grace. We have those keys today. Hallelujah. What a declaration. Now today, listen to me, and I'm coming to a close. When we look at Jesus Christ, we face those same issues, the same debate today. It is still going on. Whom do men say that I am? The Son of Man is who? What's the public opinion? What's going out? The debate still rages today and in every generation. But there is the dilemma that we've got to come to. Who do you say? This is the challenge you're faced with this morning. Who do you say I am? What do you think about Jesus Christ? I like what Bono had to say at the conclusion. Listen, he declared himself to be the son of God. And if he was not the son of God, he's the craziest lunatic to ever walk on the face of the earth. You can't have it both ways. You can't call Jesus a great moral teacher and then he lies 40 times in the New Testament about himself. You have that dilemma today. 
And so my question to you is, are you ready to make that declaration? Are you ready to, you've been, knowledge has come, revelation has come, the Holy Spirit right now is speaking to your hearts, speaking to your minds, and as he begins to speak to you, you've got to speak it out and make a declaration. I confess that you are the Son of the living God. And when you do that, out of revelation, you are brought into relationship. Once you're ready, you'll be blessed with that relationship. You'll be able to build because he gives you a mission and a heart for the lost. And you'll be able to have the keys to bind and loose. There is power and anointing for every single child of God to bind and to loose. But it starts with that declaration. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.